0: Welcome to episode 26 of Jimmy D and Mr. B. I am Jimmy D. And
1: I am Mr. B. And we're on our fourth and final revolution of our rev series, Jimmy.
0: We are there. We are on our fourth. It's been some long episodes. Uh, the, we've just released the US on That one was a bit shorter. But I think in total, these have probably been our longest four episodes of our, of our entire time, Clint.
1: Yeah. And, um, you know, a couple of these revolutions have been pretty similar, like particularly... Um, china and russia in terms of like motivation and stuff but then doing america and then doing france like they're quite different and it's been really interesting looking at what causes revolutions
0: exactly right and as we found out I'm going to be for a huge uh, number of factors it can be to do with uh, the poor uprising or uh, there's for, uh, other people they want change so it's never the same reason but it's around the same group of reasons and it's really inter- interesting to see the similarities between the the French and the American there's some similarities there but also the similarities between the, the Russian and the Chinese so it's been really interesting to delve into it and I hope people have enjoyed the episodes and that they want to view them and hear more about it.
1: Yeah. It might just get them through um, like VCE revs as well. If they (laughs) uh, listen to it and didn't do much work through the year, at least they'll know something. Um, But like, there's definitely other revolutions out there, but we need to mix it up in terms of topics for our own interest as well. We were considering doing the Haitian revolution as well. We might do that again at some date, sort of like a cool uprising of slaves in an area that we don't know much about. So that would be cool. But um, France is one of my favorites and I'm probably going to change my pronunciation of France, France the whole way through. So don't get annoyed at me.
0: Yeah. In, in, enjoy the change up of, of, uh, France and France, but look, yeah, the French one is really interesting. It's one I'm inter- interested in as well. And it's, yeah, it's one of those ones where it's slightly different because it's really about two selfish people who ruin a country. And then the people are kind of like, Hey, things need to change. Cause you guys don't know what you're doing.
1: And then the people that took over did a pretty bad job, also.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's amazing. I think that's one thing we've noticed as well. When the the revolutions get taken over by the unhappy people, they also don't do a great job. So it's kind of like what was worse, really, at the end at the end of the day.
1: It must be really hard to run a country.
0: I'm sure. I'm look. I'm assuming it is. I mean, just from watching our uh, politicians do it, it looks they make it look very difficult. So.
1: they do Um, this might be a long one um, because I'm going to get into it. I'm going to really enjoy it. So um, yeah. Shall we kick on Jimmy? Let's do it. Cool. So let's talk about the state of France uh, prior to the revolution. So with this one, there's a few different reasons as to why it sort of took place and they all sort of culminate, but I think understanding what France is like at the time is going to be really important. Um, So First, we'll probably discuss the social and economic systems that were in place in France at the time that were definitely failing the people. So from the late Middle Ages up until the beginning of the French Revolution in 1789, uh, France were a monarchy with a class system in place that was known as the Old Regime. Um, All of the population was divided into three estates, this is the first country I've looked at that has like this estate system, Jimmy. I don't know if you know of others.
0: Yeah, well, it's interesting because in France, the city of Paris is set up into uh, uh, like a similar thing, not estates, but like there's like one precinct, two precincts, like they're in precincts. So obviously they like to have things sectioned off. but no, this is the first time that I've heard of it classed as, as, as an estate, but France like to do things a bit differently to everyone else. So it doesn't really surprise me.
1: Yeah, it's basically just like really formalized um, class systems. So, the three estates I'll go through. So, the first estate was made up of the monarchy, so the king and queen, um, as well as the clergy, so priests, monks, nuns, etc. So, they were kind of held on the same level as the king and queen in terms of the estate that they were in. The second estate was made up of nobles, so only those with official titles, so like the Duke of whatever or um, that sort of thing, and then there was the third estate. So all of the rest of the population were in the third estate, um, and were considered commoners. So this is peasants, beggars, labourers, like unskilled workers. Merchants but also, yeah, yeah, exactly. And but also, um, in this estate was the bourgeois, which is pretty much a fancy French word for like upper middle class. Um. So, people who are pretty wealthy, Jimmy.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, you'd probably class the merchants in that because obviously some merchants could make quite a bit of money and be quite rich. I wonder if, like, if you're like a doctor, you were in that class as well, maybe? Because obviously, yeah, a doctor, a doctor le- can I make... think
1: landlords and stuff like that it, were yeah, as well. So.
0: It, it almost seemed like the more ed- educated class were probably in in kind of that area as well, rather than the un- than the uneducated who were more like your laborers and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, so I guess in most places where there's class systems that aren't so formalised, like a lot of these wealthier people would be at a higher class or higher social standing. Um, But the third estate made up 98% of France's population, Um, despite the fact that the bourgeois were doing pretty well and became pretty wealthy through the 1700s. And many of those people were craving more political influence and representation. Um, but in order to get to that second estate, you had to be given a title, Jimmy.
0: Yeah, I mean, and to think of 98%, that's a huge amount of the population, and usually even in other class systems like the peasantry and that are usually like over 50%, kind of 60 70%, but 98% is a lot of your population, so it's really inter- interesting to learn that that was how many people were in that third estate yet really had no power at, at, at all.
1: Yeah. Um, In the decades leading up to the revolution as well, um, France started to sort of run into a lot of trouble, particularly financially. Um, They were pretty much on the brink of bankruptcy. If you've listened to our American Revolution um, podcast, you'll see some of the seeds sown of this because France became involved in the American Revolution um, pretty much to stick it to their arch rival, England, and that was really costly for them, Jimmy.
0: Yeah. Sending over troops and ships and supplies is is, is expensive, especially when um, you're spending that money on top of whatever whatever else you're spending within your own country as well. So, yeah, France uh, obviously weren't counting the cost of all this very well. And it was starting to get to a stage now where uh, a lot of people were starving and struggling to find jobs and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, so natural um, sort of issues came into play here as well, which sort of um, probably directly or indirectly led to the revolution because there were really poor harvests for about two decades. There was drought, cattle disease, um, and all of this led to like bread prices skyrocketing. So if we know anything about France, like living on bread and baguettes and things like this, I imagine,
0: yeah i mean isn't it interesting that apart from the american revolution all the other three has there's been an issue with like farming agriculture a lack of bread all like these basic things that we take for granted um all seem to become an issue because the people higher up obviously were fine and they didn't need any of that but it's all these poor people that are suffering without like the basics of life
1: yeah and like the monarchy were not smart at this point because with all these poor harvests with people not being able to purchase food they figured that the answer was to increase taxes um on that stuff to make more money back um and this had a big impact on the third estate but also the second estate as well and there was a flower war in 1775 which ended in um the poor sort of revolting against um the high tax on flour and bread making
0: yeah, it's 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 insane to think that there was a tax on flour and bread, but I mean, who would have thought there'd be uh, some uh, the other taxes that were happening in the American Revolution as well? So strange times ahead for for France.
1: Yeah, and it, France was growing as well, which was also part of the problem. So during this time, um, where food scarcity was becoming an issue, like. France was booming in population. So from 1700, they went from 18 million people to by the 1780s, they had 26 million people. So it was actually the most populated place in Europe. Um, And because of this, over a third of uh, Parisians, so people from Paris, were unemployed or did not have regular work. So all of these things, Jimmy, signal a need for change.
0: Yeah, it sounds like a real, uh, like, um, yeah, It seemed like it was happening over a quite long period of time. And as usual with uh, revolutions, it got to a point where it was either starve and let your family die or have a revolution and, and basically save your family's life from certain death.
1: Yeah. And like on top of these political and social elements, which are pretty similar to what we talked about with Russia and with China there was also another reason for the revolution and it was actually the monarchy itself. And the fact that people just did not like them, Jimmy.
0: Yeah. As usual with a revolution, the people in charge um, were doing a great job, but I think in this case, France probably had the most selfish of leaders. I think, um, I think with other ones, it was a bit of ignorance, but these guys seemed to know exactly what was happening and kind of just like, you know what, we're pretty comfy. So kind of stuff. you, Paul.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, King Louis Sixteenth was the King of France. Like consider using new names at 16, I reckon. <laughs> um, but he was the King of France since 1774. And he was um, ruled alongside his very well-known Austrian wife, Marie Antoinette, who's a very famous name in
0: history. Yeah. Uh, Kirsten Dunst plays her in a movie. So if you haven't seen that one, check it out. I've heard it's pretty good.
1: I recall it being rather boring when I watched it, but I might have to go back and watch it again. Um, This was a really unpopular marriage in France from the start. As an alliance with um, Marie Antoinette, uh, well, marrying Marie -Marie Antoinette was to strengthen a bond with Austria. Um, And this was a pretty unpopular one because following the Seven Year War, Austria and France weren't the best of friends, Jimmy.
0: No, I mean, uh, Austria comes up throughout history as a country who kind of seemed to be kind of always in it. They like to get into it World War I and then they're there in World War II. So um, it's, 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 it's interesting to see that um, uh, there was this rivalry. And obviously the, the, obviously the, the main way to, to stop a war back then was to uh, marry a couple of people off. And usually those people are always so happy
1: yeah, these people were especially happy. Um, they were married as 15 and 14 year olds, respectively. And um, very controversially, it took over four years to consummate their marriage. Um, which, you know, I sort of looked at and go, okay, cool. Like Louis waited until Marie was 18. Good bloke. But um, this was not um the norm at this time.
0: No, usually it took probably about all of five minutes to consummate uh. Uh, marriage then. Um, But yeah, clearly Louis was a gentleman, either that he was just a real nervy guy.
1: Yeah, I think more the latter, actually, the more I look into it. Um, Their private life, particularly in the bedroom, was very publicly ridiculed as it took a really long time to produce their first heir. So they had the first of their four children in 1779, so about five years after they're married. Um, but that's an eternity in 18th century monarch standards and the public openly mocked Louis and his inability to perform his husbandly duties Jimmy
0: yeah clearly didn't take any leaves out of Henry VIII's book
1: no very different man I think Um, look they were passing flyers around in the streets like I know in some countries like The kings wouldn't stand for that that people were like slandering their their name and questioning their manhood
0: yeah i think in pretty much every movie i've seen where it features uh louis the 16th they play they you it's usually cast as a real wimp and a bit of like he's a he's a pushover like i don't know if anyone's seen like the three three um musketeer films but i think louis the 16th is there or it's, or it's one of them. And all the French kings at that point were kind of always portrayed as, like, really, like, oh, they kind of just let other people do the job for them. Yeah.
1: Um, Marie was probably actually more unpopular than um, Louis as well um, for much of their reign. Um, but she's also, like, an icon. Like you said, you know, there's movies about her and stuff like that. She was really known for, like, lavish spending and fashion and jewellery. Um, You may have seen pictures or we might have to get you to do a nice little drawing up of one of her wonderful hair arrangements. Have you seen the one where her hair is designed into a boat?
0: I haven't seen that one, but I'm, I'm used to seeing that real common one where it's like, it's like a real like high tower. It's like for basically like four foot high off her head.
1: Yeah, and in a time where, like we said, the French were struggling, like she was everything opposite of what a peasant or beggar was.
0: Yeah, she, she liked her life. She liked her flowers and she liked uh, her chocolate. She really liked to treat herself, Clint.
1: Yeah, and it was known that, you know, Louis might not have been giving her what she needed. So she was having um, plenty of affairs and stuff that were quite, I suppose, publicly known and sort of unknown now, like old letters to lovers and things like that. Um, She also had a love for chocolate and flowers. I think at the time, like chocolate was a super luxury item. And um, she basically seemed to live her best life while most of France were struggling to even purchase bread. Um, Whether it's true or not, her most famous quote, which you would have heard, Um, was at one stage when she was told that peasants had no bread. She responded, let them eat cake.
0: Yeah, that's pretty bad. Uh, Sounds like our Prime Minister, she needed some empathy training um, (laughs) and uh, clearly didn't really know how to read the room. Yeah,
1: and people will be yelling at um, the podcast at the moment that, no, she didn't say that, and maybe she didn't. Um, I think it was written in a biography, but... Um, with everything in this uh, podcast, we'd never let the truth get in the way of good history. Exactly right. Or, or, or a good quote. Exactly. Um, with the monarchy reputation at an all-time low in France, um, Louis' solution to the problem, and we'll talk about this a bit more as we go along, was basically to tax the poor. So as a bit of a summary, Louis and Marie, really unpopular.
0: Yeah, I mean, I always find that the people who you tax are the ones who don't have any money to give. So, wouldn't I mean, it wouldn't be smart to tax that, that top 1%, would it? No, I don't think so,
1: um, even though they had the money. Um, that kind of moves us to when, I suppose, the seeds of this revolution um, really start sprouting. So, in 1979, an estates general um, was called, which is basically a meeting of representatives from all three um estates these were commonly done i think earlier in french history but i don't think any had been done for over like 150 years at this point in time so i guess it was a forum for representatives to all come together express their concerns and um at this point they definitely had their concerns jimmy
0: yeah was it 1979 or 1779 just to confirm
1: sorry 1779
0: my bad um wasn't the, uh, almost the 1980s when they decided to change things up?
1: No, they, they changed it up a little bit earlier than that. <laughs> um, at this time, Louis, as I mentioned, was wanting to raise taxes um, and he wanted to get um, approval for this because I think he felt a bit of the rumblings of those lower classes um, not being real keen on the idea. So you get the three estates together and essentially how it would work at these estate generals is something would get proposed. If the majority approved it, then it would go through. Basically the first estate would get one vote. The second estate would get one vote and the third estate representing 98% of the population. How many many votes do you reckon they get?
0: I mean, to be honest, I'm surprised I got a vote at all, but I'm guessing around one vote.
1: Yeah. So you had one vote for 98% of the population, one vote for a, a handful of people and one vote for a very small amount also um this pissed the third estate off a lot like because they're completely unrepresented at these sort of things um so they were really upset at the process for the start like right from the start of this estate general and basically from the start weren't going with it um They were making their concerns known from the start of it and therefore weren't allowed into the Estates General, which was taking place at the Versailles Palace. So they would meet at the nearby tennis court, which was attached to the palace, which was an indoor court, and this is where they took the famous tennis court oath. Um, This is where the Third Estate would form uh, what was called the National Assembly in June of 1789, and they vowed not to disperse until constitutional form was reform sorry was achieved jimmy
0: yes that would have been quite rare at this time to kind of form like a really official party or almost like a party in the sense that they really wanted to make um make their thoughts known and they kind of weren't going to stop at this point and, and until they got some change
1: yeah, it's kind of like unionizing or something like that, yeah. where like you get you get the workforce together and they take a vow to you know maybe strike or something like that. So in this case, it was they were not going to move until some constitutional reform was achieved. Yeah. So the oath inspired a pretty wide variety of revolutionary activities. So in the months afterwards, um, it ranged from rioting in the countryside. Um, to renewed calls for a written constitution. Um, and that sort of reinforced the assembly's strength because the king would have seen that, okay, this isn't just these delegates at the tennis court. This is starting to spread through the country, Jimmy.
0: Yeah. Um, and that's how basically they, had, I mean, they essentially had to do this to get the attention of the king and really make it known that they want change. And if the king wanted to keep his power, he kind of needed to pay attention to what they were saying.
1: Yeah, and these um, proposed constitutional reforms—they weren't just going to, um, I suppose, benefit the uh, third estate, but also members of the first estate, um, as well as many nobles in the second. Actually, started joining the National Assembly's cause because they must have seen that this would be beneficial for everyone.
0: Exactly. Yeah, and I think, and I think at the time, like if you're in the you're within the second estate. You probably do agree with a lot of what the third estate is saying, but it's hard to vote against the, the king um, and you don't want to make him angry. So, yeah, it, it seemed like a lot of people in the second estate, they probably agreed with what the third estate was saying, but didn't really want to act on it too much until they knew they had extra support for it.
1: Yeah, so the king, um, he attempted to sort of thwart those efforts, um, and he did relent on the twenty seventh of June, seventeen eighty nine, where he formally requested that voting occur based on head counts and not each estate's powers, which was a good step, but um, didn't end up being enough.
0: Yeah, it wouldn't it? Wouldn't save it, it? Wouldn't save his head?
1: Absolutely not. Um, so. Following this, um, there was a lot of fear on both sides. So the king obviously feared um, losing his power, but then the National Assembly also feared military retaliation and execution as a result of it. Because like you said, this hadn't happened before um, and this was new ground. So they didn't know what the reaction was going to be from the military
0: exactly and i think when we talk about these revolutions i don't think people want to have a revolution this is getting it's every time there's a revolution it's because there's literally no other alternative and it's literally die or uh be killed so yeah i don't think anyone wants a revolution to happen unless it's absolutely the last uh thing that they can do yeah
1: with um the national assembly sort of encompassing so many parts of society there was also a little faction that emerged within it that are going to become a big player as we talk about this, known as the Jacobin Club. Which, rather than just seeking to reform the constitution, they were calling for the king's head. Um, these guys were, the I suppose, the more rebellious, um, the more I suppose extreme version of these revolutionaries jimmy
0: yeah it's interesting because they had the uh jacobite uh rebellion in england so i wonder if there's a uh a, a similar link with uh uh both of them
1: i'm sure there would be um parisians they were growing panicked as rumors of an impending military coup began to circulate um this meant that the national guard actually formed their own militia So the bourgeois militia was formed. So basically a rebel army um, that was made up of members of the national assembly and many from the French guard. So the monarchy's army were actually defecting to join them as you would. I imagine if you were them, like what do you have to benefit from staying with the monarchy's army?
0: Exactly. Right. And probably a lot of the people who are in the army weren't particularly rich and they probably had family who were, who were poor and probably just simply joined the army because they knew it was a, like a an, an income that they would, uh, would, would, would be able to get. So yeah, they probably didn't have any uh, specific ties or reasons to side with the king at all. Yeah.
1: Um, so the national assembly, they've got the people, they've got this bourgeois army. The next thing you've got to do, if you have an army, you need to arm them. So they managed to secure some rifles and stuff like that, but then um, they realized they didn't have like gunpowder and stuff like that. So they needed to arm their forces just in case there was that sort of military conflict. This leads to um, storming the Bastille, Jimmy, which was um, quite a big deal at the time.
0: Exactly right. Yeah, the the it was it was stormed and they were able to secure themselves some weapons and ironically again this podcast will be uh will be uh, sent out just after the after the French Revolution day which is the 14th of uh July. So um yeah. again Bastille great. Day yeah. uh,
1: named after this. Yeah.
0: Exactly right. So great timing that we definitely did on purpose again. Yeah,
1: for sure. <laughs> um this was a huge military um fortress in paris and um you know hows the governor as well um many consider this event um to really be the start of the french revolution and as you said it's now commem- commemorated as a french national holiday so the bourgeois army they storm the bourgeois militia sorry they storm the um bastille after some fighting and many deaths as well in the bastille the governor surrendered Um, these militia they didn't accept his surrender basically and they ended up putting his head on a pike um they then paraded this around the city as well as parading it past like king louis palace as well so stuff escalated really quickly
0: yeah it it, it's it's gone from a zero to ten here and obviously it's just gotten to the point now where uh uh it's it's got to the stage where uh it's going to come to a head and there's really no stopping it now. There's nothing that, that the King can do to kind of calm this down. It's He's at, he's at the end of his rope, essentially.
1: Yeah. I saw um, when I was researching this, I saw someone say that the National Assembly, they kind of had two choices with this sort of escalating violence, like either condemn it because you just want constitutional change yeah. or just go with it. And they just went with it. Like yeah. they sort of saw putting governor's head on pikes and they're like, Okay. Yeah. I guess that's where it's going.
0: And let's ride the wave of revolution.
1: Absolutely. And a violent revolution, it would be. So the violence was fueled in part by a very um, strange character named Jean Paul Marat, who was a man who lived in his bathtub due to a rare skin condition. Have you seen pictures of this guy?
0: I haven't. I mean, I love a good bath, but I wouldn't consider making it my full time at uh, home.
1: Yeah. I think he was like a scientist and he must've figured if I stay in this bath, like my skin condition doesn't get worse. So he basically sat in his bath and would write like propaganda style newsletters that would um, encourage the revolution and particularly encourage violence against the monarchy. So he was basically saying like, we need to take their heads. We need to, um, we need to kill the oppressors and things like that. So these newsletters, whilst seeming pretty radical, I think at the time, like they were the most popular newsletters going around in France.
0: Yeah, and I think like we got we said it got to the stage where they these people had faced so much persecution themselves and been basically hung out to dry with all the taxes that it got to the point where they didn't really care about uh, making this as uh, they it didn't want it, they they didn't want it to be all peaceful. They wanted to really vent basically and let everyone know how mad they were
1: yeah and um looting and violence became pretty rampant across france at this point in time the national assembly was still trying to work on constitutional change so one of their prominent members marquis de lafayette and we talked about him briefly in the um american revolution jimmy
0: yeah, we did. He was in America helping train um, the the troops and stuff like that and helping out there. So now he's he's come back. He probably thought, you know, this revolution doesn't sound like such a bad idea. And obviously was quite happy to be a part of the French one.
1: Yeah, he'd already seen the American one be uh, relatively successful. He's also a character in Hamilton, um, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, He, along with his old mate, Thomas Jefferson, who um, helped the Declaration of Independence, they drafted a Declaration of the Rights of Man in August. Um, This document proclaimed that the Assembly's commitment was to replace the old regime with a system based on equal opportunity, freedom of speech, um, sovereignty, uh, representative government. So, like, nice ideas um, all the way through that. Um, And the assembly went to work on setting up a formal constitution, but this would take like more than a year to actually create a constitution because they couldn't figure out what they were going to do and where they were going to put King Louis in this constitution, like where he fit in Jimmy in the structure.
0: Yeah. So at this stage, obviously they're still happy to kind of have a king, but they really want change to happen. So at the time, they're still thinking, look, we need to work this in with the king, but um as we'll find out soon, the King didn't really stay in the picture for very long.
1: No. So while the national assembly were trying to figure out the way forward, um, Louis and Marie were actually still living in their palace in Versailles. And they seemed to be pretty ignorant to what was happening in Paris, where most of the rebellion was taking place. Um, all of this talk of equality wasn't really helping the poor people that were still starving to feed themselves either. Like writing down everyone's equal, everyone has rights doesn't really help like those who are still unable to afford bread, Jimmy.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's all good to talk about equal rights and having everyone having an equal share. But at the same time, these people are starving. They don't have work. They don't need words on paper. They need action. So um, it's getting to that stage now, now where words aren't, aren't enough.
1: Yeah. And so Louis and Maria chilling in, Paris, in Versailles, um, they were not really engaging with what was going on. So crowds ended up going to them. And a very large group of um, hundreds, if not thousands, of women actually gathered together and marched to the royal palace. Um, They were demanding a reduction in taxes, um, improved bread supply. So pretty basic stuff that they needed. Um, But this escalated pretty quickly. Apparently they got in and actually like got some weapons from the palace and um, a crowd of over 7,000 armed themselves and stormed the palace. I think they weren't all the women, but a lot of people on the way saw, oh, this is going on. This looks interesting and got involved as well.
0: Um, yeah i think it's interesting that like they aren't even asking for they're not even asking for rights they're asking for literal food like they're not saying oh we want all this change it's literally these peasants just want to eat food and feed their families which is pretty sad to think that they they aren't even really thinking about more than that at the moment
1: yeah i think this is where the famous let them eat cake line was said as well that's Um, right so they stormed the palace with the intention of basically killing particularly the queen. Um, and, but like luckily for King Louis and Marie Antoinette, they narrowly escaped through like a bedroom tunnel out of the palace. Um, many of their guards were killed. Um, and again, they got piked so they got their heads stuck on pikes and marched around so these actions forced king louis to basically agree to a constitutional monarchy where he'd work alongside the national assembly so a big concession in power
0: yeah that's huge and obviously a, sim- a similar thing happened in um, england with uh, the magna carta and all that and uh charles so um obviously that happened way way earlier on but um but, yeah, it's got to the stage now where he doesn't really have a choice.
1: Yeah, well he, yeah, people are literally storming his house to try to kill him. Um, Louis and Marie were forced to move to Paris, so, I mean, they couldn't be ignorant any longer as to what was going on there, um, and they were no longer, like, separated from the people. Um, over the next couple of years, they, he would sort of sit back and see his power be slowly stripped away by new and updated versions of the constitution we we're talking about. Um, and their lavish lifestyle was pretty much taken away completely because people could see them now and they weren't going to let them live it up, Jimmy.
0: Exactly, yeah. Um, Yeah, they really had nowhere to hide. And, yeah, they couldn't do what they wanted to do when they were constantly in the view of the public. I mean, look, at the end of the day, these things are good things. Like, you don't want your kings and queens to kind of be... Of spending all the money while like you've got you, your families, you can't even afford bread. So um, it was, it, 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 all this change was starting to happen and it was kind of like a, a pretty huge turning point in France's history.
1: Yeah. So for self-preservation reasons, probably like Louis was forced to play nice with the revolutionaries and sort of agreed to what they wanted for the most part. Um, But then Marie and Louis got daring. They planned an escape to her native Austria.
0: Pretty sneaky, actually. Yeah, like clearly uh, they, I think they obviously knew that the end was coming and they probably wanted to live a bit longer. And obviously being allies with Austria, they thought that would be the next safest place.
1: Yeah, we've seen this in like European history before, haven't we, where like a monarch will like, escape to another country to try to like reconsolidate a bit of power and then come back with allies yeah um so the escape it happened they dressed as servants and actually escaped out in like a horse and carriage um that was headed for austria which wasn't a super long trip they were neighboring countries um but unfortunately for them they were stopped within 24 hours when someone recognized louis it's pretty hard to Um, get through a country unrecognized when your picture is
0: on money, Jimmy. Yeah. Well, he probably thought since everyone was so poor that they might not have carried money. So (laughs) um, unfortunately he came across probably the one person in France who who, had, who uh, had a few French coins with his picture on it.
1: Yeah. So they were um, caught captured and taken back to Paris and this time placed on house arrest there. Um, This sent, a pretty clear message to the French people. Like previously King Louis was playing along with the revolutionaries, but now they go, okay, this guy's trying to escape. He clearly doesn't um, respect what we're doing and isn't interested in a constitution.
0: Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a pretty clear sign when the King tries to escape from the country, that he's not really a fan of what's going on. Um, I mean, it'd be interesting to know if he stuck around and he actually tried to play nice with, with 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 the new style that they had, what would have happened? But clearly he was just too stuck in his ways and probably thought that he was being jibbed, even though he lived a life of uh, luxury.
1: Yeah. I mean, we look at like England now where they have a monarchy that works with the parliament, like it can be done and he could have um, made it work, I guess. But because of this, um, he lost the support of a lot of the people. He was reduced to like just a figurehead role. In the new version of the constitution so he was still king but um no didn't have any power at this point
0: no not at all and yeah it's start, starting to get s- super serious now
1: for sure so this angered the guys that we talked about earlier so the jacobin club um the more extreme members of the national assembly who thought he was a traitor and should be removed completely like probably a pretty justifiable um position for them to take um Protests were held by those radicals who thought that Louis was a traitor, and um, they sort of did a bit of a demonstration um, in Paris. The Parisian government, um, so basically run by the National Assembly, they had their military, the National Guard, which was led by uh, Lafayette, um, go to try to ease tensions with the crowd, but these tensions grew. And the National Guard actually started firing um, shots at the people that were, I suppose, I mean, this is one of the more confusing ones, Jimmy. It's essentially the new revolutionary army shooting at protesting revolutionaries who kind of want the same thing.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like you're agreeing, but one person agrees more, so they shoot the person who doesn't agree as much as what you agree. So very confusing. Um, Can't say I'm surprised, but, hey, it's revolution and weird things happen.
1: Yeah, so this ended up being a massacre. Um, Dozens of people were killed, um, mainly, I suppose, people from the more rebellious um, Jacobin faction. Yeah. So at the time, the National Assembly, it was made up of, um, I suppose, two groups, moderates who supported keeping the king as a figurehead and radicals like the Jacobins who wanted him removed. Um, Following the massacre, the radicals gained a big wave of support like pretty easy to get more support when you've just had a massacre at, at the hands of the moderates jimmy
0: exactly right and i think they clearly thought that even if the king was a figurehead he'd still try and weasel his way into more power and things wouldn't really change so i think they thought that the only way that real change would happen if there was no uh, king at all
1: yeah and lafayette who was one of the more um I suppose, influential moderates on the uh, National Assembly. His reputation was really damaged by this and um, the more radical side gained a lot of momentum. So they were spurred on by a guy that we'll talk about a fair bit, Maximilian Robespierre, as well as the writings of Marat, the bath guy that we talked about earlier. <laughs>
0: Yeah. So, I mean, fear would increase at this stage, obviously in quite a few nobles and the, and uh, the priests and stuff, they would go to surrounding nations and countries because obviously they knew that they were probably uh, the next to go on, on the list, Clint.
1: Yeah. The third estate's getting up and about. So the other two estates want to get out of their way. (laughs) Um, Surrounding countries also feared that the revolutionary ideas were spread um, and, The National Assembly had pretty much absolute power at this point. They actually, they got pretty big for their boots pretty quickly. And um, Austria and Prussia, their neighbours, they were not a big fan of what was happening in France. Like often this is because they're scared that this will happen in their own country. Um, The National Assembly got wind. They were pissed off and decided that they might as well strike first. This was pretty unsuccessful. Austria and Prussia had proper armies and this National Guard had only just like formed. So they got squashed pretty quickly. But the important part out of this was the Duke of Prussia um, actually wrote a letter to the French threatening to take further action um, on Paris if anything happened to King Louis. And this was just, I suppose, the propaganda that was needed to take this further.
0: Exactly, yeah. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I was in a bad mood or something. I don't like really being told what to do. So I can't imagine that a group of angry people who have been starving for years really took it kindly that they were being told to not kill the king that had basically ruined their lives.
1: Yeah. So the, um, the Parisians, are uh, they, basically stormed the residence of Louis again. And um, again, Louis and Marie were able to escape. Uh, Many of their guards, I think they were Swedish guards looking after them, um, were killed in the process. But Louis and Marie, they escaped, but their refuge this time was not ideal. They actually took refuge in the National Assembly's chambers, um, who I think within the same day or the same morning, held an emergency vote that officially suspended the monarchy so they actually removed the king title from Louis and Louis and Marie were
0: jailed yeah this is probably um, probably the worst place to hide is the in the place where they can find you so um not not very good at hide and seek louis
1: yeah, so I'm, I'm kind of impressed because I think there was about three years where the revolution was taking place where Louis actually managed to remain king. So pretty impressive effort, but he's not king anymore.
0: No, and I think that would have made a lot of people very, very happy.
1: Yeah, and also made a lot of people feel very powerful, I think. So what we're going to talk about now is what leads to the reign of terror, which, I mean, as a subtitle, you know, it's going to get juicy here. <laughs>
0: that's a that's a great way to describe thousands of deaths juicy
1: yeah <laughs> um a new government was elected in august of 1792 so basically two parties ran for government like they had sort of a democratic system one was um a more moderate party and one was a more radical political political party that was led by uh robespierre uh, Georges Downton and Marat so the Jacobin sort of um, group and they won pretty easily in the end um, France was officially changed from France to the French Republic in September of 1792 so they acted really quickly Jimmy on removing any signs of the old
0: regime yeah is this where they change their flag as well
1: yeah I believe they do yep is this the one with like the little symbols? I don't know what they look. They kind of look like spades.
0: No, no. I think that was the old one. I think the new one is the one that's similar. It's got like the blue, white, and red, or red, white, and blue in like the uh, rectangles.
1: Right. So what we know now.
0: Yeah, exactly right.
1: Uh, so um, they targeted the church initially. Um, they forced most priests um, to either they, they were arrested or they were forced into exile. Um, They destroyed Catholic and Christian symbols. They were going into churches and, like, burning them down and stuff like that, and they basically made atheism the only way forward in France, and they converted churches into, I love this, temples of reason, Jimmy.
0: Yeah, that's pretty insane because France was a hugely Catholic nation and kind of really was backed by the Pope a lot in a lot of situations. So um, that's a huge change, similar to the English when Henry uh, started the Church of England, this is huge as well because France, even that time, were sort of not supportive of what England were doing at all and were kind of um, like a real stronghold for um, the Pope.
1: Yeah. And yeah, Temples of Reason is just such a great name. Yeah. Um, They even removed the Christian calendar. So I found this really bizarre. They replaced it with a different date system. Um, They made minutes 100 seconds they made hours 100 minutes per hour and days 10 hours per day i haven't done my maths but i don't know that that adds up so to a that, full sun cycle so that's why the
0: french are always late <laughs> they, It, it makes so, that this was their priority it makes so much sense now if if they think 100 seconds was a minute that's why they're always like 20 minutes late because i mean for them they're on time but for everyone else they're late
1: yeah. Awesome. Um so I just kinda can't, can't imagine that changing the way that days work has to be high on your agenda when you take exactly.
0: power. Is it like hmm, people are starving, but I really think we need to focus on this time thing.
1: Yeah. Um look, locking up all of the um priests as well as a lot of their other adversaries and aristocrats. Um It led to their prisons becoming really overcrowded and basically a hotbed for people that hated the government and wanted to conspire against them.
0: Yeah, um, it wasn't a great time to be part of that first estate or, I mean, sometimes even the second estate. So you kind of would want to keep that on the DL a bit if if you wanted to live.
1: Yeah, so this is where the guillotine comes into play. So Ooh. I think there was a guy actually named, like, Dr. Guillotine, like it was his name. Such a baller and name. Part of the, um, I suppose, in, you know, this era this era of Europe, there are a lot of ways to execute somebody. And part of everything being equal for all men was to come up with an equal execution so that everyone was executed in the same way So the guillotine was created
0: yeah I actually heard that um uh, when they started using it there were p- people actually would fight to get to the front first because obviously at the beginning of the executions it was the sharpest and oh, after, no. I mean and I, I mean after that blade had cut through a 100 or so heads it started to get a bit more blunt so it wasn't as uh, sharp. So it was a bit more of a hack and slash rather than a nice slice through. So, yeah. So basically if you knew you were going to die this way, you would essentially want to go as early on as, as, as you could. There's a little fact there.
1: Yeah. I think there were going to be plenty of blunt guillotines around France because they went crazy with them Um, in September of 1792. So again, this is escalating really quickly. um, The September massacres occurred. So basically um, over 1,600 prisoners, so these people that we talked about, um, were basically tried and immediately executed. So they basically just had a production line of, like, trial, you're guilty, guillotine, chop. Trial, guilty, guillotine, chop. So they, this was huge and a real, I suppose, fear-inducing moment.
0: Yeah, I, um, I think that was a quote that... Um a guillotine was a, as, as, as effective as an army of thousands. So um, it, it, it could do similar damage. I don't know how effective the word trial was. I think it was more just, hey, just so <laughs> you know, you're guilty of this. Um, you're going to go die now. Not so much a trial in the sense that they had anything that they could say to stop themselves from being killed.
1: Yeah, this is something we see with like particularly Russia and China revolutions, right? You get power and you assert your authority as quickly and as brutally as possible.
0: Yeah, exactly right. You don't want to make the new regime think that you're weak, so they like to get a few murders down pat early.
1: Yeah. Um. At, after this, and I suppose as a result of this, the Austrians and Prussians were back at it again, um, waging war on the French Republic and vowing to return um, Louis to the throne once they beat them. But this time, miraculously, the uh, French Republic's National Guard were actually able to defeat. Um, Austria and Prussia so again showing a bit of um, I suppose new revolutionary spirit
0: yeah, it seems like they got themselves a bit more uh, organized this time when they were ready to take on the Prussian and Austrian armies. And then throughout history the Prussian and Austrian army were quite good, like they're quite powerful like during even when Napoleon came to power, those were the countries he was fighting against a lot. so um, they weren't uh, in an easy beat so I was quite impressed that early on the, the new the new French uh, army was able to uh, win.
1: Yeah, and this gave um, the new government, Robespierre and co, um, the I suppose the ammunition they needed to try, finally get rid of King Louis or Louis altogether. Um, they were able to trial him for conspiracy and treason, obviously fearing that... Um, other countries wanted to get him to the throne. So in January of 1793, he was executed equal for every man, guillot, trial, guillotine.
0: Yeah, exactly. And um, as we would find out not n- nine months later, uh, his wife would share the same fate. Did we find out what happened to his children at all? I'm no, assume-
1: actually, I didn't see that on the way through. I'm yeah. assuming they probably copped a pretty similar yeah, thing. Yeah. I mean they people don't like um old heirs. monarchs as exactly right. being around do they it's no like game of thrones you've got to go like take out all the heirs so nobody can challenge you later on
0: all exactly right no loose ends yeah or yeah or <laughs> well, kids Jeez. um i think the marie
1: antoinette um guillotine was a little bit more public obviously people hated this woman and um, i think they really made a bit of a bit of a mockery out of it all and people very much enjoyed watching it.
0: Yeah, I think um, being such an awful person, I think they would have been very happy to see her, her, her head uh, come off. Yeah.
1: So I suppose we get into a bit more of this reign of terror now. So following the king's execution, um, war with various European powers and very intense divisions within the National Convention, um, the French Revolution became its most sort of violent and turbulent through this period. Murat was still fueling violence from the bathtub, um, encouraging citizens to arm themselves and forcing all of the moderates out of the government. Um, luckily, oh, well, actually, you know what? It probably didn't work out that well. He was actually assassinated, Jimmy. Did you see the story of this?
0: I haven't, no, but I'm just impressed how much this guy did from his bathtub.
1: Yeah, yeah, he really, I don't think anyone's ever achieved so much yeah. while taking a bath.
0: Yeah, I'm just thinking I can just picture him like throwing out the propaganda outside his bathroom window, just like, read it, read it. Um, But uh, yeah, clearly he was a pretty effective writer because, I mean, I don't know many people who could write that well whilst in the bath.
1: Yeah, and a concerned citizen, um, she, I forget her name, um, she saw, I suppose, the violence that he was inciting and she actually went into his house and uh, stabbed him in the bathtub and assassinated um, Murat. She was later executed on the guillotine for doing so, but um, I think she thought maybe that was worth it. But unfortunately, in his death, Marat actually became, uh, can I say Marata? Marta, that- I think <laughs> is. Marta yeah, is, but-
0: is, is the pronunciation, but yes, you can I, say that. I was doing a pun, yeah. I like yeah. it. Um,
1: um, I suppose being a martyr and you know dying for his cause actually spurned probably more violence and much of the new Radical government led by Robespierre would actually use his death to fuel more um, violence and division.
0: It's 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 such an it's, it's such an insane time to think that someone inciting violence then being killed could incite even more violence. It's a it's such a weird time in the world during the, the French Revolution, but it, but it ain't over yet.
1: No, so. We get into the Reign of Terror. Um, This is a 10-month period between September 1793 and June 1794 in which any suspected enemies of the revolution were guillotined by their thousands. And what sort of stuff, Jimmy, do you think would classify as suspected enemies of the
0: revolution? I mean, probably reading a book that you're not meant to read. Maybe you, like, had too much bread. So, like, you were too rich. Uh, I mean, to be fair, from what I've read in in most revolutions, it could literally be anything. Yeah,
1: these were um, yeah, it was definitely petty stuff. Like many of the killings were carried out under orders from Robespierre. Like he definitely, whilst we talked about Mao Zedong, um, maybe being ignorant to what his policies were doing, like Robespierre was ordering hits at this yeah. stage, right up until his own execution in. July 23rd 1794. So basically um his cabinet so you had a group of I think there were about a dozen guys who were running um the government at this point Robespierre being the most influential. I'm pretty sure they just all thought we better kill him before he kills us.
0: Yeah, he seemed more like um a French Stalin. In the sense like he just liked to get some executions going, he kind of didn't really care who it was. It was kind of like, look, it's better to be safe than sorry. They're probably not bad, but if they, but if I like, I think they might be, so I'm just going to kill them anyway. So yeah, seemed like a real Stalin type.
1: Yeah. So I guess now you've got Robespierre taken out of the picture, you've got Marat taken out of the picture, and these guys have become mad with power in a pretty short amount of time. So it's probably a good thing that um, Robespierre. Ironically, met his fate on the guillotine after a trial.
0: <laughs> as as so many would.
1: Yeah. So in this period, in the um, Reign of Terror, there were about 17,000 French who were trialed and executed um, with thousands more dying in prison without a trial.
0: So essentially like a couple of thousand a month for 10 months.
1: Basically. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's insane. So- yeah, huge. Um, his death marked the beginning of uh, the Thermidorian reaction, which was a phase um, in which the French people revolted against the Reign of Terror successes. So <laughs> what better way to um, show your disapproval for uh, Reign of Terror than by uh, violently protesting against it?
0: Oh, God. it's this, this whole revolution is a contradiction on itself.
1: Yeah, it's a terrible revolution in terms of execution. Yeah. Um, so this i suppose for a lot of history stuff this kind of marks the end of the revolution but it did continue on in some way shape or form for quite a while so on august uh 22nd of 1795 the national convention which was now largely composed of moderate politicians who had survived the reign of terror um approved a new constitution um it had kind of calmed down a bit at this point, but there was still this Thermidorian reaction going on, Jimmy.
0: Yeah. So it seems like at this stage, like you've got like still quite a few different uh, groups vying for power and kind of like trying to get like that even ground of, Hey, let's make sure that it's fair for everyone and maybe not murder everyone who has an opinion.
1: Yeah. And this new constitution, it basically had, um, made an executive power would lie in the hands of a five member directory appointed by the parliament. So um, that a Robespierre can't get back in power and basically become his own version of an absolute Monarch. Um, spoiler alert, this didn't last very long, but um, you still had at this poor period, like Royalists um, as well as Jacobin groups that were still protesting the new regime. But, a young general came in and silenced these people, Jimmy.
0: Was his name Napoleon Bonaparte by any chance?
1: Yeah, one of the one of the great generals in history. So a young Napoleon would uh, come in and basically shut all these groups up. So the Directory had four years in power. They were terrible at ruling. They were inefficient. They were corrupt. They had financial crisis as well and um, weren't particularly popular. So after all of this, um, France's revolution was an absolute bust.
0: Yeah, I mean, and at the end of the day, um, we had, had Napoleon obviously he'd come into power and we've uh, done a, we've already done our episode on him, which is great. But um, I mean he was smart because he knew King wouldn't be a great title, but he thought, you know what, Emperor is different. So they <laughs> so, so they won't realize it's the same thing. Yeah. Um, so I guess that would lead into our, I suppose,
1: sequel that's already recorded. It's one of our first 10 apps um on Napoleon Bonaparte. Um, it's kind of nice that we actually have one to go to if you're interested in what happens next. But basically an ambitious general that wanted to turn France into the next Roman Empire um got into play. So things were not gonna get a lot better for France in a hurry after this, Jimmy.
0: No, it's yeah, it it, it ends uh pretty badly there as well. But um, I, I mean, at the end of the day, France now is a fantastic country, but yeah, it did have a pretty uh, horrible uh, uh, a couple of hundred years there.
1: Yeah. So I guess like being at the end of the revolution series, it's going to be kind of interesting to compare the four revolutions that we've talked about. I think we have China where the Chinese Communist Party was established and is still in power today. We have the Russian Revolution where... You know, Putin's still like almighty leader, communist party as well. Um, America's system still is in place that they established during their revolution. But this one was no good.
0: Yeah, no. I mean, I think I, you can see a, a, a lot of similarities, obviously in the in the Chinese and uh, the the Russian ones, and even with France, kind of tiptoes a little bit in into those two, and then you've got the American one kind of sitting on its own there, kind of. But yeah, it's been a very interesting um, uh, series for us, and I and I hope everyone's really enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, I hope you, I hope so as well. And like I said, um, tell your friends that are doing revs in VCA if they want, like to listen to a few things before the exam to pass. This is probably not a bad spot.
0: Nice little cheat sheet for you. Um, Well, I think that brings us to the end of our French revolution and our final one in this series. I've been Jimmy D. And
1: I'm Mr B. Stay curious.
0: Stay cheeky.